the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. For the second year in a row, the Miami Dolphins head into the NFL draft without a first-round pick. However, unlike last year, when the Dolphins traded their pick to Kansas City for star wide receiver Tyreek Hill, this year they won't have one because it was taken away by the NFL. In fact, Miami not only lost its 2023 first-round pick, but also its 2024 third-round pick as punishment for tampering related to attempts to acquire quarterback Tom Brady and coach Sean Payton in 2019. The Dolphins didn't get Brady or Payton, making their efforts all for naught. The Dolphins won't have a pick until number 51 in the second round this year, and they only have four total in this draft. What needs will they look to fill with those picks? To give us some insight, I welcome in Palm Beach Post-Miami Dolphins reporter Joe Shad. Joe's been covering this team for the better part of two decades, and he's been following the team around all offseason, from the Combine in Indianapolis to the owners' meetings in Arizona. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida sports network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper and, of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. The Miami Dolphins looked like an offensive juggernaut at times in 2022 when quarterback Tua Tungavailoa was healthy. However, concussion issues derailed their season, and they lost six of their final seven games, including a wild-card playoff game to the Buffalo Bills. Let's bring in Joe Shad to hear what the Dolphins have been up to heading into the draft. Joe, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I wish the Dolphins had a first-round pick, but maybe something unexpected will happen. We'll see. Yeah, I know it's impossible to project what a team can do with that 51st pick in the draft. So, you know, I guess maybe the best question would be, what holes are they going to look to fill with that pick? And if you have some names, by all means, throw them out there. Yeah, I would be surprised that the Dolphins didn't use either their second or third round pick on a tight end. As you know, the Dolphins lost Mike Kosicki in free agency to the Patriots. He wasn't a fit for the Dolphins scheme. But tight end is arguably the deepest position in this draft. And so at 51, there are a handful of tight ends, whether it's a guy from Iowa, a guy from Oregon State. Um, uh, There's just a handful of guys who are all sort of competent blockers and competent receivers. And you need to be able to do both to succeed in the Mike McDaniel offense. So in terms of positions of need, uh, you know, they could go right tackle or left guard uh, in the second or third round. They could go running back or defensive tackle in the second or third round. And we know that uh, Dolphins general manager Chris Greer always likes to stockpile running backs. Noah Igbenogany hasn't worked out well enough to think that he's a part of the Dolphins' future. And so at some point, they'll need to draft a young cornerback to develop behind the likes of Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, you talk about the importance of the tight end. And, uh, you know, I imagine blocking is going to be a big part of it because with Tyreek Hill, with Jalen Waddell, you know, they bring in some other receivers. And we're going to talk about their receivers uh, in a little bit. But, you know, Chosen Anderson comes in, Braxton Berrios. So your tight end probably having a rookie tight end that can block is probably important because it might not be the most productive uh, spot on the field. Is that correct? Yeah, the Dolphins extended Dorham Smythe, who entered the NFL 
uh, in the same draft as Mike Gesicki. Gesicki was the receiver. Smythe was the blocking tight end from Notre Dame. He's developed his receiving skills a little bit in the NFL. And so that kind of guy, uh, you know, Smythe is an above average blocker and probably at this point in his career, an above average uh, receiver. And so they have the Dolphins have uh, a couple of developmental tight ends, but they really could use uh, they could use a tight end. I think I think in the second or third round you'll see one. Yeah, let's give some Dolphins fans maybe a little bit of hope because yeah, you ain't got a first round draft pick, and that's okay because they've done pretty darn well in the second round over the course of history. And I was reading Hal Habib's story last week, and he listed off a ton of them. So, you know, maybe talk about just a couple of those players that the Dolphins have been able to grab at value in the second half that have really thrived for this team. Yeah, with only four picks uh, and the Dolphins in win-now mode, Chris Greer really needs to get a player who can either start or uh, compete to start games this season. And, you know, tight end, left guard, right tackle would be the positions in which a player drafted in the second round has the best chance to start right away. But listen to some of these names that Greer has hit on in the second round, guys that who arguably could have been first rounders, probably should have been. Safety, Javon Holland. Right guard, Robert Hunt. Uh, tight end, Mike Kosicki. Cornerback, Xavier Howard. Wide receiver, Jarvis Landry. All those guys, obviously in retrospect, should have been first-rounders. So that's what Chris Greer and assistant general manager Marvin Allen, who we spoke to uh, last week as well, uh, and, the, and, the, and the scouting staff will try to do. They'll try to say, okay, who, who really should, ha- should have been a first-rounder? Uh, and who do we think fits our scheme, especially if it's a defensive player, because you have a new coordinator in Vic Fangio. So Fangio will have a huge say on who fits the defensive scheme, and of course, Mike McDaniel knows precisely which type of players uh, fit into his scheme. Uh, you know, the needs it, to block a tight end, the needs to have a uh, good ability to, to move at the guard and tackle positions in the offensive uh, zone running scheme. And then, of course, if they select a running back, and they don't choose running backs in the top three rounds, one in the last 11 years, Kenyon Drake of Alabama, and he was a good pick. Chris Greer just doesn't believe in spending top first three round picks on running backs. So it's hard to project that they'll do so. Uh, and Mike McDaniel has had success with sixth, seventh, and undrafted guys, where he mostered undrafted. Jeff Wilson, a late round draft pick, both those guys brought back by the Dolphins. So every year I say, well, maybe this. Yeah, no, they, they just don't use draft picks on running backs. Yeah, time to give up on that thought. And if you want to reach way back in history, even though it's not a uh, Chris Greer pick, uh, Mark Duper taken in the second round. So you never know who you're going to get with that pick, but you can still get somebody really good. So aside from that number 51 pick in the second round, they have a number 84 pick in the third round, number 197 pick in the sixth round, and number 238 in the seventh round. So they don't have much in the way of trade capital. So do you just expect them? They're going to take their four picks and move on with life? Or or do you think, you know, can you put on your Karnak the Magnificent hat and see a trade happening? Chris Greer referenced the possibility of moving up into the bottom half of the first round. And the reason is this isn't a great draft overall. And there really isn't much difference once you get past the top 15. Uh, the picks 16 to 32 and 32 to 48. 
they're all sort of clustered and bunched together. So it's a matter of preference. Does a running back slide that the Dolphins would actually be fascinated in? Does an offensive lineman slide that the Dolphins would actually be intrigued about? Uh, win now mode. So if there's a certain player they want to target, it certainly they could move up for him. Moving up has not been terrifically successful for Chris Greer. Uh, he's been better off actually when standing pat or moving back. And the Dolphins would love to add a pick in this year's draft since they have only four for a second consecutive year. So would it be surprising if they moved back in the third to pick up a fourth or a fifth since they don't have picks in those rounds? No. So I'd give a slight edge to moving back as opposed to moving up. All right. Sounds good. We'll keep our eye out for that. You know, with only those four picks, and I think we've pretty much picked it apart. So, uh, you know, before we get to other things going on with the Dolphins, because they have been busy this offseason, they just won't be too busy in the draft. Any other draft thoughts before we move on to other topics with the team? No, I mean, you know, the Dolphins don't feel that they're done uh, on the offensive line. And so the question becomes, if Robert Hunt is, in fact, your right guard and they don't want to move him to tackle, do you really believe that Austin Jackson uh, has what it takes to be the, a competent starting right tackle? Do you really believe that Liam Eikenberg has what it takes to be a competent starting left guard? I mean, there's going to be this continued fascination with the offensive line. Uh, they've invested so many resources in it. Uh, and, of course, with Tua and the, the health question and Austin Jackson protecting uh, theoretically his blind side, being a left-handed quarterback, um, the hyper attention, the hyper focus on whether or not the Dolphins uh, use yet another draft pick on an offensive lineman. Uh, it seems like they'd prefer not to. But you know what? If, if there's a guy who is just too good to pass on, I think they will take in yet another offensive line. All right. Well, you know, again, even though they don't have a first round pick, Last year, they go out and get Tyreek Hill, so that was like having a first-round pick. This year in free agency, they go out and get Jalen Ramsey, which, uh, you know, he's getting a little older, but he's still certainly one of the best players at his position in the league. So when you look at this team heading into 2023, are they better than they were heading into 2022? Uh, they should be better. They should be better. Uh, you know, obviously the whole thing hinges on Tua Tungabello is staying healthy. Um, and that's the concern. Entering last year, Tua did not have the concussion history. So if you're down on the Dolphins, you don't believe that Tua will make it through the season. If you're up on the Dolphins, you say, well, hey, this is the second year of an offensive system. Tua has never had that luxury. The offensive lineman should theoretically be better in the second year of an offensive system. And you've improved on defense with the addition of the legendary defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio as well as the trade for Ramsey and the signing of linebacker David Long, who's one of the more underrated, sneaky, good free agent signings. So talent-wise, uh, this team should be better. They should be better. You know, they, in the last three years, they've won nine or, nine or so games, and there's no reason to think that this team can't win 10, 11 uh, games. Yeah, certainly. And of course, late in the season last year, they also brought in Bradley Chubb, who certainly didn't light the world up at the time. But now that he's with the team in the system, you'd expect probably more out of him, too. So Yeah, and playing for a coach that he played for in Denver. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, last week, another big thing in the news, of course, was the giant contract by Jalen Hurts, who, sarged, who signed the largest contract ever by year, averaging $51 million over five years. So given that Tua 
Tungavailoa was selected ahead of Hertz in 2020, and he stole his job at Alabama. You know, I know he's got health problems, but what does this say for Tua heading into the final year of his deal, and how important is it for him to, obviously it's super important, but what type of deal do you think he can get if he makes it through the year healthy and shows that, you know, he's worthy of some sort of long-term extension? The concussion history uh, and the injury history makes this a totally unique situation. Now, that does not mean that the Dolphins will not eventually pay Tua. Uh, I think that they'd like to. That's their preference. Um, but exactly how much and for how many years and how much guaranteed, it's so hard to say right now. I mean, listen, if Tua somehow plays all 17 regular season games, leads the Dolphins to a playoff victory or two, finishes in the top five in the NFL and passer rating in yards per attempt again, then it makes sense to extend him. But do they extend him? For five years, $250 million. You know, they'll have the leverage because Tua is under contract for that fifth year option. And so it could become sort of a Lamar Jackson situation. The Ravens allowing Lamar Jackson to play five years and still hasn't been extended. Um, you know, is it because they say he's a unique guy with an injury history and a specific skill set of athleticism? Uh, to a, not the athlete that Lamar is, but obviously a precision passer. So I think that for the Dolphins and for Tua, this wait and see mode makes most sense. I mean, you're going to see, uh, you know, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and, of course, Jalen Hurts all get mega extensions now. But for Tua, it just seems like that's, you know, it's going to have to be wait and see. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it also takes such a toll on this team because depending on how large that contract is, cap considerations, you know, it is going to expand with all of this Amazon and YouTube money coming in and all that stuff. So, you know, uh, and of course, after after uh, Joe Burrow and after Justin Herbert get their deals, you know, we're just down the line from Trevor Lawrence, who's probably going to get something ridiculous in Jacksonville. So if two is making $50 million. Dolphins cannot and will not have both Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey at corner and Bradley Chubb and Emmanuel Ogba at edge, you know, and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell at receiver. You just can't have all these players. Uh, and so that's why this window with the rookie contract is real. You know, you can do it two ways. Uh, and if you give the guy the $250 million, you better be right. The Eagles better be right. Yeah, you got to hope and pray that the those guys on the rookie contracts get, you know, their lumps year one, get good year two, and then take you to a Super Bowl year three. Or, uh, you know, you're going to have to really pay out the yin-yang. So, you know, w- with Tua also, you know, he's been supposedly learning to fall better. You know, he's taking jujitsu. Uh, you know, his neck apparently is noticeably thicker which you've written about because he's been concussed so much and they're trying to protect him heck there's even been you know a redesigned helmet basically because of his head and it's supposed to absorb the you know shock of the ground going down better so do you think all of that stuff will matter this season or do you think maybe the damage is already done given what happened next year or, you know, maybe 10, 15 years from now, he, he's going to have real issues. So how do you see this one playing out? Yeah. I mean, I'm no neurologist. I'm no brain expert. I'm no CTE expert. Tua seems to believe based on information he's been provided by his physicians that he's at less risk than a player who takes repeated hits, such as an offensive or defensive lineman, other 
Medical experts dispute that. It's still kind of unclear. You know, in terms of the damage being done, it's interesting when you say that, I thought of it in two ways. One, um, his brain health, which is obviously the most important thing. Uh, I don't know. We don't know. Uh, certainly common sense would suggest that if Tua were to sustain a concussion next year, that he, his family, the team, the coaches, they would all take an extremely cautious approach to his return. So what does that mean? That means that maybe instead of returning in one or two weeks, we're looking at three or four. Now that affects the team, the AFC, and this is ruthless and cold, but it is what it is. It's a business. Uh, the AFC is so competitive, so tight. The Jets and Bills within the division, teams like the Chargers and Bengals and Ravens all sort of lumped in with the Dolphins in terms of trying to make the playoffs, that that could cost you a game or two. And then now all of a sudden, what? You're either the last team in or not in at all. Dolphins believe Mike White is a competent backup, but he's certainly not an established uh, veteran in the same way that Jacoby Brissett and Teddy Bridgewater were. But the second aspect of the uh, damage being done is relative to his future potential earnings. And we touched on that a minute ago, but, you know, a lot of former NFL general managers like Mike Tannenbaum and Randy Mueller, uh, whether it's on TV or on Twitter, both of those guys have been GM of the Dolphins, ironically, uh, saying how, you know, how can you give this guy a long-term contract considering he has in a very candid, honest, direct, transparent fashion, it conceded that he and his family discussed retirement. So it's a very murky situation and it's a lot of complexities um, and it's really unfortunate. You know, there's been so many negative concussion professional sports stories, Eric Lindros's, et cetera, uh, that the ones that are successful, Sidney Crosby has been able to navigate his concussion history and have a brilliant Hall of Fame career. Um, you know, it, it goes both ways. Yeah, I mean, so it's super important for him and his new Lou Ferrigno neck to make it through 17 games, uh, basically uninjured this year. And, you know, he did talk about retirement. You know, he contemplated it last year, but ultimately comes back. So, you know, hey, this year, if he does stay healthy, you know, we mentioned the targets earlier. You've got Tyreek Hill, you've got Jalen Waddell, you've got Braxton Berrios. They bring in Chosen Anderson, formerly known as Robbie Anderson. Now, he's an interesting one because he's been unhappy in some previous stops. So, you know, somebody's not going to get fed here in this offense. You know, how are these guys all going to work together? And, uh, you know, what do they, hopefully, you know, like Anderson and maybe even Berrios understand that there are two superstars ahead of them there. Yeah, Berrios's primary role is as a punt returner and kick returner so that Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill can focus on offense. Now, everyone's going to have their opinion about that, whether or not that's a mistake. But the Dolphins believe that's in the club's best interest, and it gives the Dolphins the best chance to keep Hill and Waddle healthy. And Javon Holland, too, a star uh, in the making who returned kicks last year. Um, and then, you know, he will be a third-down slot target a la Wes Welker. And, you know, he's got a little bit more of the ability to play outside as well. But Anderson is not guaranteed a spot on the roster, nor is Cedric Wilson, the veteran. Um, I, Wilson would be a much bigger salary cap hit. Uh, and of course, I think it's most likely that the Dolphins actually trade him uh, on draft day, Cedric Wilson, the veteran. He just didn't work out. He was, of course, signed before the Ty Tyreek Hill acquisition last year. Um, so the Dolphins spent a lot of time with the former Robbery Anderson uh, before they signed him because he wanted to come here. He said, can I come sign with you guys? 
and uh, making sure that he was on board with the idea that he wasn't going to get a ton of targets if he's on the roster. He's going to be uh, the occasional deep threat, uh, a possibility as a number three target in the offense, but no promises, no guarantees. If he gives Mike McDaniel a headache at any point, uh, they can just they can just move on. So low risk, high reward. All right. That sounds good. You know, speaking of Tyree Kill, what did you make of that announcement a few weeks ago where he said when this contract's done, so is he. He plans to retire and he'll still be a pretty young guy. So what did you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I understand that Tyree Kill has certain business interests, whether it's apparel or music or entertainment or coaching, uh, all sorts of things, agency work. Um, and I'm sure he'll be very successful in that someday. Um, but, you know, Tyreek says some stuff and then kind of walks it back. You know, in the year we've known him, we've known that that happens. And so I wouldn't put uh, too much stock or too much worry into that. You know, if the Dolphins make it to the Super Bowl after three more, I'm sorry, make it to the Super Bowl and lose after three more seasons, uh, is it, is it, Hard to believe that he wouldn't re-sign at least on a one or two year deal, try to win the Super Bowl in Miami at a young age. Yeah, of course. Of course, it would be hard to believe that he would just walk away from the game. But we've seen it. We've seen Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson, right? Of course, those were, they were stuck in Detroit. This is Miami. So you get to live and work in Miami. It's a little easier to retire when you live in Detroit. <laughs> I hear that. And, you know, given that right now he's on a four-year contract that essentially pays him $30 million a year at the time, if somebody says, hey, Tyreek, why don't you play two more years at $40 million a year? I have a feeling he might also reconsider that. Yeah, we all like money. And, you know, I know Tyreek wants to build a, a very special basketball court or two at his new home. Uh, and so, you know, that costs money. Those would be very special courts. And even down there in Miami, you saw it recently on the women's college basketball team where the Cavender twins have decided instead of continuing their college career, they're going to do other things because they can make so much more money outside of basketball. So maybe Tyree thinks he can, you know, make more money outside of football. So good luck to him after that. But hey, so the Cavender, hold on. I wanted to talk about the Cavender twins for a second. Obviously, we all follow them on Instagram and they're very popular and successful. <laughs> Are they identical twins? Because one thing that threw me off, I don't watch Miami women's hoops, and maybe you'll know this or maybe you won't. Why does one score like 14 points a game and the other scores four? If they're identical, shouldn't they have identical talent? You know, that's a good question. Um, they are they are uh, fraternal twins oh. is what it says because they're slightly different in height, I guess, or, or maybe they look a little bit different. So it says, uh, one was like the run to the group, I guess. So what <laughs> I feel bad for the young lady that scores four points a game. It's like the other one. I don't know. It just seems unfair. Doesn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I grew up with two twins and, uh, you know, one was better at football and the other was better at basketball. So I guess you never know what that talent is going to be. <laughs> well, good luck to them. I hope they continue to make a lot of money without the uh, UM Women's Hoops banner. I don't know. We'll see. Well, there you go. Now I can put Cavender Twins in the headline of this podcast, and it's sure to bring more downloads. <laughs> there you go. Glad that SEO is working out for you. That's well, there you search, go. <laughs> search engine optimization for those not in the know. 
<laughs> yep, everybody trying to get clicks these days. Well, you know, the, the Dolphins, back to the Dolphins, of course, they're, they're, they're not going to be favored in the AFC East this year. You know, that will go to Buffalo again. The Jets, maybe, possibly, eventually. Will Aaron Rodgers come? Won't he? Who the heck knows? And then, of course, you've got Bill Belichick being, you know, Bill Belichick, who can, you know, do great things out of nowhere. So, you know, where I, I think the Dolphins obviously are number two in this division. But, you know, again, if Aaron Rodgers comes or so how do you see things playing out this year? It's interesting that the Jets are Vegas odds ahead of Miami. The, the, the Dolphins, as good as they are, picked third in the division. It's kind of like the um, is that in baseball, the American League East or the National League East, the AFC East is so deep and so talented and there's so much money spent in those particular divisions, whether it's baseball or football. Um, the Bills lost defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier uh, to sabbatical, who knows if he'll return, and they lost linebacker Tremaine Edmonds in free agency. So I think the defense is a little more vulnerable. Um, I personally, at this moment, would uh, you know pick the Dolphins to win the AFC East? Of course, I'm biased since I you know live in South Florida and spend time with the Dolphins players and coaches. But but I don't think that um, Dolphins are in a place where they can't compete with the Bills. They showed that they could last year, including in a playoff game with Skylar Thompson and quarterback. Uh, and I don't think that of course winning in Buffalo is very difficult uh, in general for for Miami. But you know I understand what Aaron Rodgers is um, and how good he is, but is he quite as good as he was in his prime? Um, I don't know. I know the Jets have a good roster. I'm just glad that it's going to make for a very fascinating, uh, you know, four games, right? Two against the Bills, two against the Jets. Uh, Excellent, excellent. Very entertaining. It's good for the division. It kind of harkens back to the, you know, O'Brien, Welker, uh, I'm sorry, uh, O'Brien, um, Toon, uh, Marino, Duper days. Absolutely. And you know, I was thinking of Wesley Walker. I got Wesley go. Walker and Wes Welker mixed in my brain. <laughs> it's an easy thing to do. You know, that, I tell you what, the Dolphins, they better beat the Bills the first time they meet in the season because uh, I talked to a Bucks expert last week, Ira Kaufman, when we were doing a Bucks draft podcast, and he was saying that there's a real possibility that Mike Evans could be shipped to the Bills during the season sometime around that November 1 tra- draft or, uh, trade deadline. So uh, imagine Mike Evans in that Bills offense. That would be yeah, something frightening. Yeah, or DeAndre Hopkins, certainly, to pair with Stephon Diggs. Yeah. Um, yeah, everybody wants to play with Josh Allen, you know. Trent Sherfield, former Dolphins wide receiver, talked about how excited he is to play with one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Of course, everyone said, that's a shot at Tua because, you know, everything's a shot at Tua. Well, you got to watch out for the Tua people and you got to be real careful what you say. So we're Tua guys, right, Joe? Yeah, anyone who's listening, I am in Tuanon. I have a card in my wallet. <laughs> All right. So just a couple more things. When you look over the Dolphins' schedule, you know, it's certainly not the toughest that they've seen because outside of the AFC East matchups, you know, what what games are you looking forward to seeing? Because they do have a few marquee ones, but they also, you know, th- this might be one of their easier schedules in years. Yeah, you know, I was thinking, I was talking to my wife about the road trips, not all that fired up about Baltimore, Philadelphia, and Washington, especially Washington having that crappy, uh, you know, stadium. Um, 
at Washington. At Kansas City is obviously going to be a classic game with hopefully Tyree Kill uh, being, uh, you know, healthy for that one to, against his former team. And then at the Chargers is always interesting. We go back to L.A. again, that beautiful SoFi Stadium, uh, where we can once again revisit the Herbert Tua storyline. Obviously, um, Herbert with remarkable physical specimen attributes, yet not yet having led the Chargers to the promised land. Uh, interesting. And then I guess, let's see, Vic Fangio faces former Broncos team. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of like an ass schedule, like Carolina, Tennessee, like whatever. The Tannehill thing is kind of played out. And I guess, who's Carolina's quarterback? Well, they'll be taking the number one overall pick, which will most likely be their quarterback. Right. So that'll be interesting to see potentially um, Bryce Young against Tua. A lot of Alabama quarterbacks went forever. Alabama had no quarterbacks other than Joe Namath, who people say is extremely overrated. Well, if you look at his career numbers, uh, certainly he had a couple of good years, but more interceptions than touchdowns career-wise for Broadway. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, you know, I, I, I grew up in Queens, New York, uh, you know, uh, understanding how remarkable the promise was. It's like that those moments, you know, like what will be Tua's moment? Tua will always be remembered, but what will he be remembered for? Will it be for... God forbid, a concussion-shortened career? Uh, Or will it be that he actually leads the Dolphins to where they think he can? Fascinating. Yeah, we can't wait for it to get here, but first got to get through the draft. And also, Haley Cavender, 12.2 points per game. Hannah Cavender, 3.8 points. 12 to 3, like, I don't know. (laughs) And you know the one that scores 3 was only on the team because the sister was. The other one probably wouldn't have been on the team. So. Yeah, apparently they they hauled down about a million bucks in uh, nil last year too, so not too shabby. <laughs> Good, I got to figure out how to get my hands some of this nil money. Well, you know, Joe, you have uh, what two hundred forty thousand Twitter followers. No more blue check mark though. <laughs> yeah, they, you, Elon is not uh, offering to pay for my check mark. Yeah, very few people are. So, and I know he's in a uh, a back and forth with Stephen King right now. So. Uh, I don't know if that's the guy you want to be riffing with because you you may end up sleeping with the fishes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I hope that Twitter survives and flourishes because it's been an important way for me to distribute my material. I have to, might, might have to get more into the Instagram. Uh, our followers can, can go to Shadjo, S-C-H-A-D-J-O-E, both on Instagram uh, and Twitter. So maybe if you don't follow me on Instagram, follow me there just in case my Twitter goes away. Absolutely. And even without the blue check mark, Joe, people still know you, they trust you, and they look for you. So I do appreciate all the times you come on here on the podcast, all of your work at palmbeachpost.com. So, Joe, again, I appreciate it, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Same here. Thanks, Tim. Alrighty, and that's going to do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters. And to quote Dolphins Hall of Famer Jason Taylor, at the end of the day, you have to have it inside of you. If you don't have it inside of you, then no one can push you further than you push yourself. Keep on pushing yourself and join me again next time.